0: Hey, how are you guys doing today, you good? Good, good, I am Jeff. Uh, they let me teach here at Front Range once in a while. I'm glad to be with you. Those of you who are down front, did you catch Pastor Johnny's shoe game today? Like he had, he had shoe game going on, like it was, it was amazing. And then I looked up and above his head, did you notice it, it said, Johnny, sharp pastor. And I thought, that is so cool. He is a sharp pastor, that's awesome. If you would like to get to know Johnny better, <laughs> this is the worst segue of all times. You know here at Fret Range, the thing we are focused on is we want to uh, help you build community, we want to help you discover your purpose, we want to help you grow in Jesus. And one of the main ways we do that is through something called Next Step, and many of you have never been to Next Step, next Sunday, Sunday night, 6 o'clock, at the Ministry Center over on Wilcox. uh, uh, We'll have free food, free childcare, and it's a chance to hear a little bit about the background of Front Range, to um, hear about the vision and the mission of the church, to ask any questions that you have. Like a great question to ask would be, Johnny, where do you get your shoes? Like that'd be awesome. I make fun of Johnny's shoes because you guys don't know this, but one time when I spoke here, I uh, wore shoes that did not match each other. Uh, They weren't even close. They weren't even in the same family of shoes. So... I don't have shoe game, so I make fun of Johnny for his. Next Sunday night, next step, if you'd like to go, you got a connect card when you came in, uh, just check the word uh, Front Range on there, and that way they'll, they'll know you're coming. Um, hey, today, Johnny asked who your hero was. If, who would shout out, tell me a name of someone you said, or you would say, is your hero? John Foreman. Very sp- specific, <laughs> thank you very much. That's amazing. Uh, In the first service, all I got was David. I don't know if it's some random guy named David, David from the Bible. I thought about this. When I was a kid, my hero was Superman. And I'm old, so it was back when Superman was a television series. And every episode opened with the same thing. We're going to have a trivia contest today. See if any of you guys remember or know what they said to start every Superman show. They would say this. They would say, Superman, he's faster than a speeding Bullet is correct, yeah. He, can't, he is stronger than a locomotive. <laughs> it's not bullet. Able to leap tall buildings... In a single bound, that's it. So I knew as a kid, I wasn't faster than a speeding bullet. I knew that I wasn't stronger than a locomotive. But I thought that though I couldn't leap over buildings, maybe I could jump from a building. So I got a towel, tied it around my neck, climbed on top of our house, and jumped off. And about two-thirds of the way around, I realized I can't fly. And when I hit the ground, Superman was no longer my hero. My hero, my hero to this day, one of my heroes, is actually my grandfather, my grandfather. My grandfather was born in 1910, back or in western Oklahoma. His family was dirt poor, had always been poor. <clears throat> they were what they called sharecroppers, which what that means is you live on the land, you work the land, you don't own the land, you just get paid for doing that. My grandpa, when he got in his late teens, early 20s, let's just say he was a... He was an entrepreneur, and he uh, built an amateur distillery, uh, which you might also know know as a still, and he sold bootleg whiskey to gangs that traveled by. And He was a violent kind of guy. He caught somebody stealing some of his whiskey, and so he did what any entrepreneur would do. He pulled out his gun and started firing away. They pulled out their shotgun and fired back. Who knows, shotgun trumps pistol every time. And so my grandpa got shot with a shotgun, To his whole life, he had uh, shotgun uh, pellets in the lining of his heart. Like he was a, he was a tough dude. But he came to know Jesus in this amazing conversion story, and followed Jesus as best he could. Began to read the Bible, come to know about God, and then it was uh, back in the 1930s, the Great Depression. They lost everything. There was a dust bowl, Oklahoma. All the crops died. So my grandpa packed up his family. And they drove out to California, and they became migrant, uh, uh, mar- migrant workers picking crops up and down the coast of California. And through that, and then through World War II, my grandpa was able to save up some money. They moved to a little town up in Northern uh, California, and they bought the, the grocery store slash gas station in town. It was kind of like 7-Eleven, but not. And he grew that business, became a successful business guy there in that small town. But then my grandpa felt God just laying on his heart, he should be a pastor, My grandpa never got past the sixth grade education, never went to Bible school, didn't grow up in church, but he learned as much as he could. And then he felt like he was supposed to move back to Oklahoma from California and start a church. And all he knew is he had a picture in his mind of this abandoned church building somewhere in a wheat field, somewhere in western Oklahoma. So he loaded up the family, sold the grocery store, and just headed to Oklahoma and just driving through wheat fields until he saw a building that looked like the building that he had in his, his, his vision or his dream. He inquired about it, found out it was abandoned. They said, you can, you can use it if you want to. He moved the family into this abandoned building, and they started a little church there. They grew that church, and then they, they have to, handed it off to a pastor, moved to another town, started another church. And that's what my grandpa did for most of his life, is he just moved from town to town in Oklahoma, starting these, these little churches. And it's amazing, though. My grandpa's family came to Christ. His, his kids came to Christ, and he, he grew this legacy. But my, my grandpa died fairly young. He died at the age of uh, 70. Um, I think his heart failed on him. I think it was too much baking grease and too many shotgun pellets in the heart. Like, that <laughs> doesn't go well. My grandpa's on his deathbed, and his family's surrounding him. They're praying over him like a, a final prayer. And the last thing my grandpa did is he looked up at his oldest son, he made a sarcastic joke. He winked at the family. He smiled. He closed his eyes and he went to see Jesus. How do you do that? Like how do you build a legacy like that? How do you live this life of joy overcoming incredible circumstances and make a difference in your world? And that's that's what we're kind of talking about in this series, uh, prayers from prison. And We're talking about the Apostle Paul because this is a guy who lived a huge legacy, made a huge difference in the world, but he came from very, very difficult circumstances. In fact, no one would ever have said that someday Saul, as he was known then, will be a leader in the Christian world and will start churches all over Asia, but he did. So how did that work and so we're looking he wrote a lot of letters and in these letters he kind of gave uh, a lot of instructions on how we can live that kind of life and so we're learning from those letters today we're going to look at a letter that he wrote to some people in uh, a city called philippi and philippi was still a city today it's in present-day greece um, back in Paul's day, it was actually a very Greek culture, but they were a Roman, uh, 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 a Roman city in the middle of this Greek culture, and they were very proud of their Roman heritage. They were very nationalistic about it, and they had coins that said on the coin, "Caesar is Lord." And into Philippi comes this uh, obscure Jewish man named Paul, and he begins to preach a different gospel. He begins to preach that not Caesar, but that Jesus is Lord. And that, that didn't go over well, and he really struggled to get any, anyone to listen to his message. And usually when he would go into a new town, Paul would go to the Jewish synagogue and begin preaching there, but there was no synagogue in Philippi. And so one, one day, he and his friends, they went outside the city to a river, and, and they began to pray there, and some, there were some women that were gathered at the river. And there was a lady there named Lydia, a businesswoman. And Paul began to talk to her, began to present the gospel to her. Lydia committed her life to Christ. She was baptized right there in the river. Lydia said, Paul, would you come back with me? I'd love for you to tell my family about Jesus. And so he did. He began to tell her family about Jesus. They committed their lives to Christ. And Paul and Lydia started a church right there in her house. And that's how his ministry in Philippi started. And He stayed there for several weeks. Um, some some things happen, I won't get into the details, this is all in Acts chapter 16, but Paul winds up getting arrested and thrown in jail. During the night, while he's in jail, an earthquake comes, the earthquake busts open the doors of the jail, the jailer just assumes that all the prisoners escaped, he knew that the Romans would come and kill him because he, was, he, had, he they had escaped on his watch, he was going to commit suicide, and Paul said, dude, 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 no, 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 don't. We're all here. We all stayed. And the the jailer then committed his life to Christ and became a part of this little church that met at Lydia's house. The city officials came to Paul and said, dude, ever since you've come, the city's been a mess. It's been an uproar. We, would you do us a favor and leave? And maybe, how about if you come back? Like, maybe never. That would be awesome for us. And so Paul did. He left that city and he went to a lot of other cities, started some other churches. A few years later, Paul winds up back in jail. Now he's in a Roman prison. Paul is what we might call a connoisseur of incarceration. Like he tended to wind up in jail a lot. I have some relatives like that. I understand how that works. Paul is in jail. Has a little bit of time on his hands, so he starts writing these letters. And these are the letters that we're studying. And he writes a letter to his friends a Philippi, a letter uh, to the Philippians, and that's where we're going to be. I'd love for you to do me a favor. This can be a little different today, but if you would do this, I'll explain it in a little while. If you have your phone with you, mine's on the front row there, but if you have your phone with you, if you would pull it out, I'd love for you to do that, and if you have the Bible app installed, you'll know which one it is. It's the one that the icon's of guess what, a Bible. If you just open your Bible, Bible app to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in the New Living Translation, NLT. If you use the Bible app, all that makes sense. If you don't use the Bible app, that's cool. It's totally legal right now to go to the app store, search for the word Bible, and download the Bible app, okay? And there's a reason I'm asking you to do that. There's a reason I'm asking you to have your phone out today. One, I'm pretty boring. You might want to go to social media and, you know, s- scroll Instagram. That's Let's not do that. But the other, I'll get to you in a minute. We're All we're going to do today is we're going to read verses three through eleven of Philippians one. So if you have your Bible app open to that, you already know. Uh, you can read ahead. You can see what we're doing. You can go back and forth. We'll also have the scriptures up on the screen. But we're going to start in verse three, Philippians chapter one. Paul says this: Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of uh, all of you with joy, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. It's so ironic that Paul starts this letter off by talking about the joy that he has. Remember, he is sitting in a Roman prison. Roman prisons were no joke. They were really, really awful. Not only is he in prison, but he is falsely accused. He did not do the thing that they said he did. But he writes later in Philippians that at this point, he doesn't know if he'll get out of jail or if they will put him to death. And the Romans specialized in making death bad, excruciating. So that's what Paul is facing. He's rats. He barely has anything to eat. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed or in prison for another two or three years. He has a bad situation, bad circumstances. And yet, Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and he uses the Greek words for joy and rejoice 16 times in this short little letter. There's 104 verses. In Philippians, 16 times, Paul says, joy or rejoice. How do you have that kind of joy in those kind of circumstances? Well, that's, that's what Paul's talking about. That's what we're doing talking about today. In fact, the next verse kind of gives us the, the uh, introduction to how Paul finds this joy. He says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God, who begins this good work, he will finish this good work. That's why he can have joy. Paul's saying that incarceration does not stop God's work. He's saying that opposition does not stop God's work. Paul is saying the extreme, that even being under the sentence of death, it doesn't stop God's work. What Paul is saying to us today is no matter what our circumstances are, they're probably not as bad as Paul's. God is working in our lives. He's going to continue to work in our lives. If we cooperate with God's plan, we can experience that kind of overcoming joy and make a difference in our world. That's what Paul is saying. So, He writes in another letter, he writes in Romans chapter 8, same idea. He says, I am convinced that neither, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Paul says God's at work and nothing, no circumstance can stop what God is doing in your life. And he wants, he wants the, uh, his Philippian friends, and he wants us to experience this joy that he experiences. He goes on in verse 7 to say this of Philippians 1. He says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me in the special favor of God, both in imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the gospel. God knows how much I love you long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. It's fun to contrast this letter to the Philippians to the other letters that he wrote to other people. Like if you read through Paul's letter, they, the other ones have a very different tone. He writes a letter to the Corinthians. Basically that letter, if you were to sum it up in one sentence, would say, what were you thinking? And then he gets a report back from them. So he writes him another letter and basically it's summed up as, no, seriously, what were you thinking? And then he writes a letter to the Galatians, and basically it just says, cut it out. That's for Bible nerds. Go read Galatians, and you'll find that's very funny. Um, But he tells them, stop it. Just stop it. And then he writes to the Philippians, I love you guys. He just has this tender feeling toward this little church, this little house church in Philippi, and he prays for these people. He wants them to experience joy and an overcoming life. And so let's t- spend the rest of our time, we're going to look at this prayer that Paul prays, and then we're going to break it down and see how it applies to what we're doing. So if you have your Bible app, or you have your Bible open, this is verse, begins in verse 9 through 11. It's, it's one prayer, and Paul, Paul wasn't a big guy on commas or, or, or periods. He wrote in run-on sentences, so it's all one long sentence. Paul says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. What's Paul saying? If we want to live this kind of overwhelming, joyous life that he lived, make a difference in our world, what do we learn from this prayer? The first thing Paul says is if you want to live this life, then you need to be loving. You need to be loving. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. Paul prays for that we will have overflowing love. Here's something that we misunderstand about the Bible. Well, and, and as a pastor, I am someone who has, has uh, helped... Uh, teach, this kind of misunderstanding. We sometimes see the Bible as a self-help manual. You read the Bible and it'll teach you how to live a better life. And that is true, but that's not the main point. The main point of the Bible is it's not a self-help manual, it's an other help manual. You see, because all of the good stuff in life always begins with loving others. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you want this life of joy, you start by overflowing love toward other people. Jesus took this to the extreme. Jesus said this, you have heard the law that says, um, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is saying, have overflowing love to the difficult people in your life. What would that look like? What would that look like for you and me to have overflowing love to some of the difficult people in our lives? I thought about some of the difficult people. I was going to name them real quick. Could you stand when I name you? No. Right. What, about, what about that idiot on social media? You know you know the idiot on social media I'm talking about, right? The one who disagrees with you like they're an idiot. Like, I had something happen to me on social media a few months ago or years ago or weeks ago. <clears throat> I don't want you to go back through my feed and try to figure it out. But I put up a post and I kind of stated an opinion. Uh, and a pastor from another part of the country who I never met commented on it and he told me how stupid I was and wrong I was and he just he just he tore me apart through this comment and so being a loving pastor I sat down and wrote a nine-page response and I talked about you know some of his family and you know the other things and right before I clicked post I thought that's not an overwhelming love way to act and so what I did instead is I sent him a direct message we had never met and I said hey dude I saw your comment. I was wondering if you would be willing to meet me online on Zoom and we could talk through this. And so he said, sure, I'll do it. We set up a time. We met. We talked for about 40 minutes. At the end of 40 minutes, it was amazing. He admitted he was wrong. He apologized. He told me what a wonderful person and leader I am. None of those things happened. Like, none of them. At the end of 40 minutes, he stated his opinion. I stated my opinion. And we ended by saying, huh, bye. And we hung up. Well, here's a funny thing. Uh, Back at the beginning of February, I went to a pastor's retreat out in South Carolina. And guess who shows up at the pastor's retreat but my buddy from online. We sat down kind of awkwardly, hey, hey. But then we began to talk and he began to tell me his story and I began to understand his context. And I told him my story and he understood my context. And we didn't come to a point of agreement on that one point online, but we realized that There was a brotherhood between us, and now we text each other, and we're praying for each other, and I know what's going on in his life right now, and I'm praying for him. How does that happen when we respond with overwhelming love rather than that natural response? Like, what if it's somebody on social media, or what if it's a boss or or somebody you work with that you just, they're, they're just, they're a pain, they're a jerk. What if you responded with overwhelming love. What if it's a family member or a, member or a former family member that it's just, it doesn't connect? Like maybe, I, my dad's been married four times, so I've had three stepmoms. And of the three, one of them I kind of like, right? And you guys, you, you, some of you know what that's like. What if I respond, what if you respond to our stepmom or to our ex or whoever it is with overwhelming love? Well, they don't deserve that. Well, of course they don't. That's not the point. The point isn't that I'm right. The point is I want to live this life of overcoming joy. I want to make a difference in the world. And Paul says, well, that starts by overwhelming love. Be loving. The second thing that Paul talks about in this prayer is, I've kind of labeled it, be loving, be smart. Let's be smart. It says, I pray that you will love, that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding Paul says keep on growing now when I was a little kid our next door neighbor the little girl that lived next door to us we were in kindergarten together and she could ride a bike and I wanted to ride a bike but I didn't know how to ride a bike so my parents got me a bike and they put on training wheels do you guys train no training wheels little wheels that you bolt to the side of the bike and all through kindergarten, I would ride my little bike to school, and she would ride her bike to school, and she'd be weaving all over, and I, you can't weave on training wheels. I'd just be going straight. And I was fine. I was five years old. I was in kindergarten. Now, last year, Sherry and I, my wife Sherry is here with us today. My wife Sherry and I bought e-bikes Imagine if the first time we took our e-bikes out, I said, wait, Sherry, before we go, I got to put my training wheels on, and I bolted my training wheels onto my e-bike, and as a 61-year-old man, I'm pedaling along with my little training wheels on. That would be silly. That's what Paul's saying. You got to keep growing. It's okay to have training wheels in the beginning, but as you experience Christ, as you as you get older in your faith, you have to keep growing. He says, how do you keep growing? You keep growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, Paul isn't talking about all knowledge and all understanding. All of that's important. Paul is talking specifically about knowledge and understanding of Jesus and how he works in the world. So, how do you do that? Well, being here at church today is a great start. Like, that's a part of it. And, you know, I'm, I am thrilled you're here. I'm in church every single weekend. But just going to church is like, it's like, it's like going to Cheesecake Factory. Any of you like Cheesecake Factory? Any of you love Jesus? And like, Okay, Cheesecake Factory, right? It's amazing. But you go to Cheesecake Factory. What if you just get the little brown hot bread that they bring out? So good. And then you put on the butter and it melts. And you eat a loaf of that bread and then you leave. Well, it was good, but you didn't stay for the, for the Thai lettuce wraps. I mean, for the appetizer, oh my goodness. Now we're talking Cheesecake Factory, right? That's like we talk about here at Front Range. Don't just go to church, go to community group. Community group is the Thai lettuce wraps of experiencing Jesus. Like, I bet you've never heard that before, but it's good. But if you walk out of Cheesecake Factory and all you had was the warm, bread, the warm brown bread and the Thai lettuce wraps, you have missed it. You've got to turn over to page 22 of the menu. You know, page 22 of 104 pages in the Cheesecake Factory menu. And there is the, I'm not making it up, the mac and cheese burger. Oh, man. You do a mac and cheese burger, and, but you're not done. You flip to the back. What's in the back of the menu at Cheesecake Factory? That's right, the cheesecake. And you come down about halfway down, and you get to the peanut butter chocolate cheesecake. Oh, those of you're thinking, like, will he quit preaching? We're headed to Cheesecake Factory today, right? You do that. You walk out. You have had the Cheesecake Factory experience. So just coming to church is like eating the bread. Going to church and community group, that's great. Thai lettuce wraps, nothing wrong with them. But where do you get that peanut butter chocolate cheesecake? Well, it's Bible engagement. You're like, seriously? Bible reading, that's where we're going? That's exactly where we're going. There's this, there's this organization called the Center for Biblical Engagement. And they have done massive research studies on the impact on lives when we actually engage in scripture. And when they say engage in scripture, all their, their definition is just reading or listening to scripture daily, okay? So they did some investigation to find out what difference does it make in people's lives if they do or don't engage in Scripture. And they said this, the lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers. They surveyed 100,000 people around the world and they found that truly engaging Scripture and they found a magic number. They said if you engage in Scripture once a week, that's great, twice a week, better. Three times a week, even better. Four times a week or more and your life changes dramatically. This is according to their statistics, 100,000 people surveyed. Here's some of the things they found. on people that engage in scripture at least four times a week, the difficult, uh, having difficulty forgiving others goes down by 31%. Drinking to excess goes down by 28%. Experiencing loneliness goes down by 30%. When you engage in scripture four or more times a week, the problem of overspending or mishandling money goes down by 20%. Feeling discouraged goes down by 31%. Experiencing fear and anxiety goes down by 14%. Viewing pornography goes down by 59%. Discovering and connecting with Jesus through scripture on a regular basis changes our lives. And here's the good news, guys. Remember when I told you to get your Bible app out? You just engaged with Scripture on the first day of the week. You're one down. You only have three to go this week. Woo! Like, wouldn't it be great if a diet was like that? Only three more days and then I can eat anything I want. No, it's amazing. Now, of course, you guys know this, if you are engaging in scripture 5 minutes a day, 4 times or 5 minutes a day 4 times a week, that's fantastic. If you're still doing that 10 years from now, that's like me riding my little training wheel bike next to my wife. That's silly. We're growing. We're growing in our connection with scripture, and our understanding of how Jesus works in the world. But if we want to live this engaged, overcoming, joyous life that makes a difference, Paul says you love You've got to get smart. How do you get smart? You've got to engage in God's Word. The third thing Paul says is you've got to be wise. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Understanding what really matters, that is the very definition of worship. Paul knew that <clears throat> his love for the Philippians was more important than the rats that he was dealing with in his cell. And so he put up with the rats, but he focused on the Philippians. I have to ask myself, am I I focused on, am I understanding what really matters in life? Like, am I spending time on the things that in 10, in 20, in 50 years will have made a difference? Or am I focused on things that in 10 years I won't even remember? Like in 10 years, will I even really care how much money I made in, in, in 2023? In 10 years, will it matter what kind of car I drove? In 10 years, will that argument that I had with my family this morning, will that make a difference? Or in 10 or 20 or 50 years, what difference could I make if I focus on my family, if I focus on my faith, if I focus on my friends, if I focus on the impact I can make in my larger community? Will that make a difference? Paul would say that is understanding what matters, being wise and focusing there. So Paul says we have to be loving, we need to be smart, we need to be wise. He says one more thing. He says be fruitful, be fruitful. Verse 11 of Philippians 1 says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. See, fruit is all about reproduction. The question is, if I want to live an overcoming life, of joy that makes a difference, Am I reproducing in others what God is doing in me? So that's what I saw. I told you my heroes, my grandpa, that's what I saw in my grandfather. My grandfather never pastored a large church. My grandfather never made much money. My grandfather was never well known. But what he did is he invested what God gave him into his family, into his friends, into his community. And my grandfather's legacy, 41 years after he died, continues to grow. You see, my, I told you my grandfather was a pastor. Uh, his kids, his sons and his daughters. his daughter married a pastor, his sons became pastors, including my dad, his second son, became a pastor. And then my older brother, Greg, became a pastor. My older brother went to Charleston, South Carolina, planted a church called Seacoast Church. A guy named Ernest Smith came to that church, committed his life to Christ, began to grow in faith. Seacoast Church sent several families out to Castle Rock, Colorado to plant a church called Front Range. In part, we are here having this church service today, in part because of what my grandfather did. That's a legacy. I want to make a difference. I want to do it with joy. I want to do it in spite of my circumstances. So how do I live like that? I'm going to finish with just some things from my own life because sometimes I'll hear sermons and I'll think that's a really good sermon. I wonder if they ever do that stuff or if that's just for other people. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not the poster child for this, but I'm trying to live it out. So so I talked about being loving. Well, what that means for me is in circumstances, I try to stop myself and say, what is the most loving thing I can do? Sometimes that's confronting someone. Sometimes it's not confronting them. Sometimes it's doing something for them. Sometimes it's helping them to learn to do something for themselves. But I try to ask myself, what's the most loving thing I can do? In in being smart and growing in an understanding of who Jesus is and how he works in the world, I start almost every single morning with the Bible app that I talked about. You uh, open it up, you the uh, uh, on your phone, and I use a reading plan. I've used different reading plans through the, through the years. Right now, I'm using a reading plan by a group called The Bible Project. Some of you might be familiar with The Bible Project. They have these really cool videos that kind of break down every book of the Bible. And the reason they're very helpful for me is because they're cartoons, and I'm not very smart. And so I ordered a book that has all their cartoons in it. And so this sits next to my chair where I do my Bible app. And when I started, knew I was going to speak today on Philippians, I pulled out my cartoon book of Philippians and I watched the video and then I looked through the cartoons and remembered what the different parts of the book are about and the theme and all all of that. Why do I do this stuff? One, I'm not very smart, so I need cartoons. And two, I want to grow. I want to continue to grow in my faith. I highly recommend that you check out Bible project, that you have the Bible app on your phone, that you go to frontrange.org and you look at what's called the series hub because we have a lot of resources on there to grow. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is, how he works in the world, trying to be loving, trying to be wise. I'm on the backstretch of life. For a long time, I I said, I'm middle-aged. And then I realized I'm only middle-aged if I live to be 120. (laughs) I'm in act three of a two-act play. You know what I'm saying? And so I ask myself often, how can I focus on today what will matter when I'm gone and I'm with Jesus? And then I try to be fruitful. And I'm just going to tell you what I do. This doesn't apply to you, but maybe it'll inspire something that you're not doing or just encouraging something that you do. And I write my prayers, and I have for years and years and years, I've written out my prayers. It helps focus me, and in my prayers that's, that are on my iPad right here, I have a prayer list, so and on that prayer list, my family's all on there, a lot of other people, but there's a there's a section called pastors, and I have the names of several pastors around Denver, around the country, around the world that I pray for. Ernest is on there, and I, I pray for these men every single day, and then I have textbooks. text messages that I send out once or twice or three times a week and I just text the guys on my list not every guy every week what's going on hey I I remember you're doing this and then more and more I'm trying to get together with those guys if they're here in Denver Tomorrow, I'm having coffee with a pastor who's really struggling here in Denver. I'm on a Zoom call with another pastor that I found out is struggling down in Florida. I'm not saying this because I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. I have to be super intentional about it. I have to think about it. I have to make reminders in my calendar because I'm not a naturally nice person, okay? I have to learn, but I want to grow. I want to live a life of overwhelming joy that changes my work. I... I want to honor the legacy that was left to me by my grandfather. Some of you have a legacy that were left, was left by your mom or your dad or your grandpa or your grandma. Some of you are starting a brand new story in your family. You're the first Christ follower. What if we did this? What if we intentionally said, I want to do what Paul did. I want to have joy. I want to overcome circumstances. I want to see my world change. Can you imagine <laughs> what a difference that would make in our world? Would you guys pray with me? Father, I just uh, am so thankful for the words of Paul. And Lord, I'm thankful that, that Paul was a bit of a goof up. Like Paul did things the wrong way sometimes. Um, I can relate to that. Um, I am thankful that Paul faced tough circumstances because we all know what it's like to face stuff that's overwhelming. And Lord, I'm thankful that we have a example that Paul through his faith in Jesus was able to overcome. Lord, I pray for people who are here today. I'd like everybody to just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to talk to you for a minute. I don't know everyone in the room, but I wonder if there's somebody here who doesn't follow Jesus. Like you don't understand or don't know Jesus what he's up to in the world because you're not a Christ follower or a Christian. Today's a great day. Great day to follow Jesus. In fact, I pray this really simple prayer and your first step might be just in your own words to quietly pray this prayer right at your seat along with me that you want to become a Christ follower. Father, I just am sorry for my past. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Lord, I have followed my own path. I have done what I have wanted to do. But today I want to follow Jesus forgive me for my past give me strength and courage and wisdom for my future and Jesus as best as I know how beginning today I'm going to follow you and learn about your way in this world Lord I pray for the rest of us I pray that you'll just give us wisdom and and how what are you speaking to us Who is in that relationship that we need to just show them overwhelming love in spite of what they do? How do we need to grow in our faith? Who should we be reproducing what you're doing in us in this other person, this family member, this friend? Lord, I just pray that you will give us wisdom and speak to us and through us. we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.